It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 883 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday evening. Into Monday as we begin a new week. And today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked on, you get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. Today's podcast will center on the game on Sunday evening where the Hawks got, a, got their first win of the preseason. Obviously, that isn't the biggest thing in the world, but they played pretty well, I thought, all things considered, in this game. We'll open up with some news from the weekend, some injury stuff, etc. Then we will go through the, uh, the nuts and bolts of the game itself. Then we'll wrap up with some individual breakdowns on this game. First, though, we'll start with the injuries. On Saturday, the Hawks announced an update on Chris Dunn, Anika Kongwu, and Tony Snell. Um, Chris Dunn, quote, has been participating in individual workouts with contact and is progressing towards a live team practice, end quote. But the headliner is Chris Dunn's reevaluation date by the team is now December 28th. Given that the, that the opener for the regular season is December 23rd in Chicago, it does appear that he won't be playing when the regular season starts. The Hawks did not expressly say that, so that is me interpreting. I want to be very clear on that. The Hawks did not announce that he's going to miss that game, or the first two games, actually, as far as this covers. But if you do the math on that, if he's not reevaluated until the 28th in terms of in full, he isn't going to play. Now, that could change for sure, but if you follow the timeline, that is worth noting. And obviously, that would, that would have been a, a homecoming for Dunn, who played in Chicago previously. And, um, you know, we'll go back on that if we need to, but that's the latest on Chris Dunn. Um, also, as Pierce said on Friday, Anaka Kongwu is now doing contact practice, but he will be reevaluated on, on December 18th, which is between, actually, the two preseason games in Memphis next week. So I'm not really sure what's going to happen there, whether he'll travel to Memphis, etc. We'll follow up on that later on. And then as for Tony Snell, he's not actually been reevaluated just yet. That was scheduled for over the weekend, but Snell is still self-isolating from COVID-19 protocol. He's not tested positive as a point of clarity, but he's been exposed to someone who has. So they've not done that just yet. We'll see how that how that goes. This might be sort of a setback on his reevaluation timeline for his actual foot injury, etc. But we'll come back to that as well. As for today's game, the Hawks play without both Rajon Rondo and and Cam Reddish in this game. Um, Pierce, just for the record, downplayed both of them in terms of the absences meaning anything. But uh, I did ask about Rondo and his uh, unavailability. He's been listed as doubtful the last two games and has not played either one of them. So I asked, you're hearing me, uh, I'll play the audio for you now. You'll, you'll hear the question and Lloyd Pierce's response to uh, what I asked him. I know you talked about Cam. Uh, is there any concern with Rondo, just a vet giving him more time or is there anything to worry about with his health status? You mean the world champion that just won games <laughs> two months ago that's 35 years old? Got it. So that speaks for itself, I think, as you uh, hear that. No one's worried about about Rondo's injury status right now, and we'll see if he plays in Memphis. As for Reddish, he was actually listed as probable earlier in the day with his ankle issue, soreness, etc. Pearson said that there's nothing to worry about there. That's a quote from Lloyd, so no concerns. 
Um, Pierce did say before the game he wanted to cap everybody at 28 to 29 minutes, which actually ended up going past for a couple guys in this game. He was pretty punchy, actually, in pregame today. Um, some sarcasm, some cutting wit, etc. I want to play you the other audio that I, that I pulled from pregame about the starting lineup. He was basically asked what, what the lineup was going to be in this game, and uh, people were asking sort of for whatever context there was because the Hawks chose to go with Kevin Herter in this game over Bogdanovich as well as Hunter with uh, Reddish unavailable. But here's what Lloyd had to say when he was asked about the lineup for Sunday's game. No, uh, Kevin Herter will start in place of bogey and uh, Cam Reddish missed his opportunity. He was a little sad when he walked into the room this morning, this afternoon, saw his name on the board. Obviously, he's not being too serious there with Reddish, but uh, that's the context where people are asking what the decision-making process was. Only Pierce and his staff would know that. I did think that potentially, with the way he worded that, it could have been um, Herter and Reddish on the wings to get today. Obviously, they've been tinkering a little bit with regard to lineup construction. Uh, Pierce said in the postgame as well that he's not necessarily married to anything just at this point in time. Somebody asked about, about rotations, and he, he sort of downplayed that, so they're going to be tinkering um, for the rest of the preseason, etc. So, nothing firm whatsoever. We'll talk about what they actually ended up doing in the game later on in the podcast, but there you go. That was the setup for everybody asking about the uh, decision-making process there you have it. Um, okay, before we get into the nuts and bolts of what transpired from quarter one through quarter four, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, so we can dive in now to the game itself. The Hawks ended up winning this one by a nine-point margin, 116 to 107. It was a tale of uh, runs, as games often are. And obviously, you don't want to make too much of it at the preseason, but there you go on that. Um, in the early going, the Hawks looked really, really good coming out of the gate offensively in particular. They won the first quarter by a 36-26 margin. Um, there was a nice one-dribble pull-up mid-ranger from John Collins in the early going. He actually got some fouls, and uh, early on in this game, it had to slow down a little bit from there, but... There was more aggressiveness, I thought, from Hunter and Herter carrying over from the from the opener. There was a couple of nice, quick-trigger shots from Herter from beyond the arc. Some good passing from him as well. Hunter finished through contact a couple times in the early going as well. The Hawks used um, a pretty short rotation in this game. We'll come back to that later on. But the first subs were Gallinari and Bogdanovich. Collins came out with two fouls and Trey Young. They actually went to Herter and Bogdanovich together right away in the backcourt. It was very clear in this game that they were, A, trying to win a little bit more in terms of rotations than they were on Friday. And also, they were not necessarily going to go to Goodwin and Fernando as much as they would have previously. Obviously, they're without a bunch of guys already with, between Reddish and Rondo and Dunn and Okongwu and even Snell. But they went to a shorter group in this spot trying to play it more normally, it felt like, in this game. Um, a nice – I thought Gallinari was awesome in the first quarter, especially in this game. We'll come back to him later on. But um, he was crafty. Um, there was one finish that I, that I saw that I made note of where he got he got Aaron Gordon in the air with a fake and then finished through contact. Also some really good cutting from Gallinari in this game and some overall shot creation stuff that I really, really enjoyed seeing. One of the two big runs in this game from the Hawks was in the first quarter, a 20-6 to spurt to go up by 14 points. Offense was the biggest reason for that, but there was a possession that Lloyd Pierce absolutely seemed to love on the bench, a, a pretty visceral reaction to it in a positive way. There were three or four quality rotations from the Hawks, 
on one, on one possession, and there was a really good closeout by Trey Young to force a miss, and that was a very uh, celebrated possession in the middle of that run, even if the offense was kind of triggering most of what was going on there. The Hawks went very small a couple times in this game. They had Gallinari at center at the end of the first quarter. Um, that allowed, I will say the matchup allowed that to happen because Orlando was playing Ken Birch at that point at the five. is much more of a combo big in some ways. But the Hawks played only eight guys in the first quarter. They did open up the second quarter with Fernando and Goodwin on the court. But again, it was a pretty short rotation in a lot of ways. Atlanta shot the ball great in the first quarter. Also took 11 free throws in the first quarter. Had 10 for Gallinari, 5 points and 5 assists for Trey Young, who had a great passing game as often in this game. Um, the second quarter was a little bit, uh, a little bit more leaning towards Orlando in some respects. There were two um, very good on-ball defensive trips that I mentioned from um, Kevin Herter against Michael Carter-Williams, who's obviously not, not the greatest matchup in the world, but I thought Herter played pretty good defense, all things considered, in this game. Um, Trey Young had an unbelievable left-handed pass that he threw from a silly angle after an adjustment. He's really, really good, obviously. Um, and then right after that, the Hawks had a really gorgeous possession where they had four or five passes that ended up with a big-to-big pass from Gallinari to Capella for an easy dunk. That was a very, very fun throwback possession of ball movement, etc., the Hawks did lead by mid-double figures, but actually the lead got all the way down to one late in the half before it pushed up. Trey Young had a pull-up three at the end of the half to go back up by six. But the Hawks only shot 35% in the second quarter of this game, scored 22 points, and that was kind of their, their lull offensively in this spot. After halftime, it was actually pretty ugly for about the first minute of the third quarter, and then the Hawks were good after that. So a 7-0 run by Orlando coming out of the break, um, everyone basically flopped out of the uh, out of the break there. They actually, they had a pretty early sub with Solomon Hill coming in for DeAndre Hunter, who had his fourth foul early in the third quarter. And by the way, foul troubles doesn't really matter a whole lot in the preseason. But as a reminder of that, um, Evan Fournier from the Magic, one of their better players, had five fouls before halftime in this game. So it isn't. It's not quite summer league, but it's uh, pretty ridiculous in terms of the uh, rotations and fouls and all that stuff. Um, anyway, they said they steadied after a rough start. I thought Capella was really good in the, th- in the third quarter, especially. Um, there was some good defense by Trey Young, actually. He got a strip on Aaron Gordon, and then he missed the transition floater on that same possession. But did a great job relocating. The Hawks got the, Hawks got the offensive rebound. And after two passes, he got a kick out three from Kevin Herter, and uh, a nice catch and shoot three from the corner from Young, who's automatic from there, basically. Herter, I thought, was actually very good with his with the ball in his hands all night long. He was the one again that found Trey on that kickout pass. And a few minutes later, Herter had a nice, had a nice step back for himself. Uh, he definitely slowed down a little bit with in terms of his on ball stuff in the fourth quarter. But I thought he played well before that. The Hawks had a 19-0 run in the third, so that was the other run that I mentioned earlier. That the 20 to six in the first quarter, 19-0. In the third quarter, that was capped by back-to-back-to-back threes from Solomon Hill and then two in a row from Bogdanovich. Um, Also defensively, it was very good in that sequence. Spurring transition, um, getting rebounds off the glass. They improved um, basically everything everything on that run. And their shooting allowed them to sort of space the floor there. Lloyd Pierce was um, effusive in just what the shot creation what, the, what this floor spacing allows them to do on both ends, really, but just the, the way that their defense sort of spread their offense and the fact that they have so much shooter, so, so much shooting now, that makes it a lot easier for the Hawks to put together runs like that. Um, the Magic did come back from there. The Hawks weren't incredible after that. That was their one sort of high watermark in this game. And funny, um, the Hawks scored uh, 30 points in the third quarter, including that incredible run. They only shot 39% from the floor in that period, but they had seven threes on 16 attempts, and they had nine assists. So that tells the story of what transpired, basically, in that period. 
Um, but Orlando was not fading away. They cut the lead from 17 down to one, actually, early in the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter was kind of a back and forth. It wasn't the greatest execution in the world on both ends of the floor. There was a nice defensive possession, though, by Trey Young to draw a charge on Evan Fournier. Actually, he hit a three later on to push the lead from uh, eight to 11. And they weren't really threatened necessarily late. They, the Hawks had the, had the uh, advantage th- really the whole way through. It was never down to one possession, etc. But it was basically interminable at the end of this game. Um, I was uh, watching this game closely for obvious reasons. But if you were a casual observer, there was no real reason to uh, keep watching probably at the end of this game. There were so many reviews. There were so many stoppages. The last minute probably took like 20 minutes. I'm not exaggerating. It was a ridiculous end to this game. But... Alas, that was the end of that. The Hawks ended up winning this game by nine. I will say, again, Pierce mentioned before the game, it was 28 to, 28 to 29 was the uh, sort of target three, uh, target for minutes in this game. He uh, eclipsed that with three guys. Hunter played 30 minutes. Young and Herder played 32 each. Not really a concern. They don't play again until Thursday, I'm sure. Uh, you know, Chelsea Lamb was right there. He She could have tackled Lloyd if she needed to in that spot. But I uh, wanted to always point that out. Rotationally, the Hawks did play to win at the end of this game. There was uh, just for for reference, there was a it was a DNP for Nathan Knight and Skylar Mays. You didn't really see Fernando and Goodwin in winning time along this along the way here. They really only played like a seven man rotation in crunch time. It was the, the the five guys who started, which were Young, Herder, Hunter Collins, and Capella, and they they also played Gallinari and Bogdanovich. But that was basically those seven guys at the end of the game. Solomon Hill played a decent amount during the game, but the last you know five minutes, six minutes when it was at crunch time, they were trying to win with their best players on the court. So that's worth noting. And uh, there was only a smattering of Goodwin and Fernando in this game. Um, all told, in terms of the team-based statistics in this game. The Hawks' offense was was pretty good for the most part. It did slow down. They only scored 1.06 points per possession, which is not incredible. They shot the ball well from three. 17-43 from three-point line is obviously very, very nice. But they missed 11 free throws. Click Capella had a rough time of it at the line. But they did, they, they did have 27 assists. That's very nice to see. Um, the turnovers, though, were a little bit more than you'd want. 18 of those. That's preseason. I know I know that. But that's definitely a higher number than you would like. But all told, it was pretty pretty solid offensively in this game. I thought anyway, and the free throw the free throw line is uh they're sort of their friend because they, they generate 34 attempts. That's a huge thing. If the Hawks keep getting in the line like that, obviously it helps to have Trey Young and Gallinari who are both very very good at creating free throws. But that's a very big advantage if they can keep doing that in the regular season. And then defensively, they rebounded very well again. This is a a point of um, emphasis in some ways. Obviously Capella by himself is a huge uptick there. But Collins, eight rebounds on the, on the defensive glass. Hunter, six. Herter, seven. Gallinari, seven. All on the, on the defensive glass, plus Capella's eight. And even four for Trey Young. So they were uh, gang rebounding. That was a huge advantage. The Magic only had nine offensive rebounds, so they actually rebounded about 84%-ish, the Hawks did, in this game. That's pretty impressive, and that's going to be a huge thing to both to close possessions defensively and also spur possessions offensively in transition. So a nice point of emphasis there for the Hawks and one of the reasons why they were able to win this game the, the, the way that they were. So anyway, defensively, the numbers the numbers look pretty good. I will say, uh, you know, Pierce was asked about this pregame, sort of the pluses and minuses of um, playing the same team twice in a row. Orlando is an interesting matchup. They are well coached by Steve Clifford. Um, they do have some talent. They've been a playoff team recently, but I will say they're not a team that's put, that puts a ton of pressure on you in terms of their offensive approach. They don't have a ton of talent. They have four or five guys who are pretty good players, um, but especially with, with who they have available right now, this is not a team that's going to test you a ton defensively. We'll probably learn a little bit more about the Hawks against Memphis this week. 
But still, the Hawks played very good defensively and allowed less than 98 points for 100 possessions. That is a win, obviously, in any way, shape, or form. So there you go on that. That's the way the, the Hawks sort of broke this game down. It was definitely an offense-first win in some ways, but if you look at the numbers overall, the defense really stands out. And uh, well, some of that is attributed to Orlando. The Hawks did play well and play hard defensively, especially on the glass. Okay, before we get to a breakdown of all the players that contributed on this night, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Built Bar. I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case, but also the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic and they continue to be so, but now there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and, a, and of course my personal favorite, and cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so we'll go through the individual players as we often do on the podcast. And if you're a new listener, this is what we do after games. I will go through all the guys who contributed in this spot and at least briefly touch on what they did on the court. We will start with the bench in this game, as we uh, usually do, I would say. Not always, but usually. Um, the two guys who contributed the least in terms of minutes were Brandon Goodwin and Bruno Fernando. I said before this, but I'll say it one, one more time. Skylar Mays and Nathan Knight both got DNPs. Everybody else was unavailable to play, and that's a Kongwu, Reddish, Rondo, Dunn, and Snell. Um, I thought Goodwin struggled, as did Fernando, honestly. They both kind of did in this game. Brandon was 0 for 5 from the floor. Did have four assists, had some nice moments flashing, but uh, and brought some energy, but obviously was a little bit more aggressive. Um, and th- that's not a bad thing, just didn't have the shots to go in. He was a little bit out of control at a couple of different points. Um, Fernando struggled. The numbers look okay. He was 2 points, 5 rebounds in 10 minutes, 1-1 one one from, th- from the field, I should say. But defensively, it was kind of a struggle, um, you know. He just hasn't played incredibly well, and the Hawks went away from him. Obviously, when they were trying to win this game, they went with Gallinari and Collins at center in place of Fernando on the second unit. It's a good reminder that the Hawks have versatility to where um, not only a Kongwu, but also the Hawks could just honestly could have easily gone this entire game if it was a regular season game without playing a backup center because they have Collins and even Gallinari who can play some backup center, and we might see that quite a bit once the games are actually counting. Um, The other guys who played off the bench were Solomon Hill, 15 minutes from Solomon, 10 points, 4 rebounds, and an assist. Had 2 of 5 from 3, which is probably his biggest weapon offensively at this point in his career. I will say this. He talked to me before the game. It's very, very clear 
talking to really everyone from head coach down to players. Solomon Hill is, uh, I would say, kind of beloved already by this team. He's just got there, of course, and Ron is going to be the, draw, the guy who draws the headlines in terms of leadership. He's much more famous than Solomon Hill. He's older, has the experience, all that stuff. But Solomon Hill made the, made the finals this year with Miami, and he's a beloved figure already. You could tell in that locker room. And he could play a little bit. I mean, I know a lot of that signing when it happened. It's a non-guaranteed deal, but Hill is someone who can help you. Um, maybe, maybe won't play necessarily every single night this season, but a guy who can play a little bit. And uh, everybody seems to love him behind the scenes. So I thought he played well in this game. We'll come back to him a little bit later on. Bogdanovich was very, very good off the bench. People were asking this as well. You know, I don't think that Bogdanovich is going to come off the bench. Would it stun me if he ever did? No. But I think um, as a general rule, I'm expecting him still to start when the season begins. I could be wrong, of course. No one's announced anything, but that's my general read on the situation. But 18 points from him in 27 minutes. He was 7-15 from the floor, 4 of 10 from 3. Got up, got up 10-3. That, that's a lot, and you want that from him. He was plus 12 in his minutes. I thought he played just very, very well. Under control. Defensively, was fine. Made some plays as a passer. Made some plays as an ISO scorer, as a standstill shooter. Kind of the whole game with Bogdanovich in this game. Uh, Gallinari was very, very good. As mentioned before, his first quarter especially was really awesome to see offensively. He's such a varied and talented player offensively, but 17 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, and 2 steals for Gallinari in 28 minutes. He was 5-9 from the floor, 2-6 from 3, and 5-5 from the free throw line. You know, I've said a lot about him already, but I wanted to play you one more piece of audio from Lloyd Pierce after the game. Uh, he was asked about the second unit, basically pivoted the entire question to Gallinari. So here's what he had to say about um, Gallinari and sort of heading off that second unit. Well, I mean, you look at Gallinari and you say second unit and as a starter most of his career. And so instantly that's where you start. His ability to just, A, get to the free throw line. Uh, his ability to make plays for himself, and then he's gonna he's gonna open the floor up with his shooting. Uh, but he's no second unit guy. He, he's a starter for his career. We have him coming in, and you just feel like you can't miss a beat when he's on the floor as a scoring option and a spacing option. And he sets that tone. You know, Cam did it the other night defensively. Uh, Gallo does that for us with his spacing, and then whoever else is coming off the bench is still a viable option. I think everybody knows that by now, but obviously Gallinari is a starting caliber player that just happens to be coming off the bench because they have John Collins on his team, but he's quite good, and it's it's a, it's a massive luxury, quite frankly, to have a guy as good as he is that's quote-unquote a second-unit player. I have lobbied and will continue to lobby for Gallinari and or Bogdanovich to sort of leave the second unit. Obviously, when Rondo is around, he might do some of that as well, but... There's not really a need for a backup point guard a lot of times, um, at least a pure one, when you have guys that, like that that can, that can create shots for themselves and others. So, shots to Gallinari, he played very well in this game. From there, we'll go to the starters, and um, a lot of positives here as well. The guy who had the ugliest numbers in terms of his own creation was Kevin Herter. He was 3, three of 12 from the, from the field, 2 of 7 from 3, but even then... Eight points, nine rebounds, so some good aggressiveness there on the glass from Kevin Herter, three assists. You know, he had a couple moments where he was kind of physically outmatched, but I thought Herter was aggressive and played relatively well despite the shooting numbers, and obviously his shot is not really a question mark, so I thought it was probably a pretty positive game from him overall, even if the box score doesn't look fantastic for Kevin in this spot. Um, Click Capella, 12, 12, 12 points, 12 rebounds, 27 minutes. The only black mark there was his free throw shooting, two of eight. That is a problem for Capella. It's not something I've talked about a ton, but he's a guy who's going to land somewhere in the mid-50s probably. Could be even worse than that at times. You know, his free throw form is not great. His mechanics are not great. It's a situation where you could be a little bit worried, especially if you have a lead, to have him on the court. 
at the end of at the end of games because of fouls and getting to the free throw line. That's a concern. It's not a huge one for me, but it's something that did rear its head in this game. But regardless, he he, he plays so hard. I love watching Capella rebound um, defensively. He's always in the right spot. And uh, yeah, obviously the the leaps and bounds improvement from last year to this year is something I've talked about just sort of ad nauseum the last several months from Capella um, versus what he was replacing. That was again evident in this game. He played well. The other three guys in the lineup, DeAndre Hunter, 30 minutes, 15 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists. Um, he was efficient, 5-7 from the floor, 2-3 of three from 3, 3-4 three of four from the free throw line. I thought he played quite well in this game. Wasn't quite as aggressive as he was on Friday in terms of getting his own shot. But got to the line, um, made shots, good decision making, good defense. I thought he was pretty active, again, defensively in this game. And uh, a, nice, a nice night for DeAndre in the starting role once again. And the two headliners... John Collins wasn't necessarily as efficient as he usually is. 4-13 from the floor. Got to the line seven times, though. 13 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists. I liked his short roll passing in this game. A couple nice flashes there. They had him in the, high, in the high post a few times. There was one time where he missed a pretty open kickout. At the same time, though, um, he was pretty good, I thought, in that operating in that area. A couple nice um, off-the-dribble creation kind of attempts there from John Collins as well. So I thought he played well. He'll finish better than that normally, but a nice night from him overall. And then finally, Trey Young, of course, 21 points, seven assists. Did have eight turnovers. That's just too many. Once again, he had six. He had six on the other on, on Monday. I'm sorry, on Friday night. That's a problem, but I don't worry really at all about that necessarily. Um, he did. He, he seemed to be pretty upbeat about this after the game, kind of fitting in. He's been pretty vocal about the fact that he's trying to take a, a back seat and on some level as he tries to learn his teammates. That's something he was emphasizing in interviews repeatedly the last couple of days. Still put still put up 21-7 in 32 minutes. Got the line six times, four away from three, six six thirteen from the field. So I thought Trey played reasonably well. I thought he was better tonight than he was on Friday, to be sure. And then even defensively, made made a couple plays. Quite quite honestly, he wasn't incredible, but certainly made a couple of uh, scrappy plays. Drew drew that charge. Got a couple steals, or at least one steal, a couple couple deflections, etc. So it was a fine night from him. He's a guy you don't worry about necessarily at all. So. That's probably enough to break down all the individual players. But again, a pretty nice performance for the Hawks, all things considered, in this spot. Nothing like absolutely over the moon when it comes to your, your a win as sort of a split against Orlando the last couple of nights, but still just fine at this point in time. I think more positive than negative for a team that's not been playing basketball for quite some time. Um, from here, the Hawks don't play again in Atlanta until the home opener on December 28th. That's 15 days away. Obviously, it's not nine months. But a two-week break between home games, so we'll see what happens at, at that point in time. As I said before, the Hawks do go on the road this week for two games in Memphis. Um, I will be interested to see how they handle those two games. There is some room for rest. They don't have like a back-to-back or anything like that. So they could treat the, those games as like regular games and deploy their regular rotations. You could see Reddish back then. Obviously, Rondo could make his debut at some point in Memphis. I'll be surprised if we see uh, a Kongwu or... Done or Snell, but uh, we'll see what happens on, at that point in time. And obviously, stay tuned to the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast, and that's the best way to find out what's going on in terms of what's going on with the team. Um, we'll have a full slate of podcasts this week, um, at least for, at least four, maybe five shows in the next couple of days, including this one. So uh, please subscribe to the show. Please tell a friend about the podcast. Please follow me on Twitter if you'd like to at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Hawks. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. As always, we will see you next time. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.